Welcome to Lawyer's Coach. My name is Oliver Hansard, and each episode of this podcast will feature myself or Claire Rayson, both of us coaches and former lawyers, trying to find out what makes lawyers tick. We'll be hearing from various guests and experts, and then at the end of each episode, we will both be reflecting on what they said. In this episode, Claire speaks to Sarah Hawes, Head of Corporate Knowledge at Herbert Smith Freehills. Sarah has a passion for social mobility and getting the right work-life balance across her legal career. But of course, Claire started by asking Sarah, why on earth did you become a lawyer in the first place? Oh, well, if you'll forgive me a bit of a long winding story, um, if we go back to 15 year old Sarah having to choose her school work experience. Um, at that time, the only thing I was really focused on was going to university. Uh, nobody on either side of my family had ever been to university before. So that's all I wanted. Thought I would probably do English or history and thought I would probably then become a teacher with it. My GCSE English teacher, though, suggested to me that doing my school work experience in a school would be a waste of time because I already knew what it was like to be in a school. So she asked me what else I was interested in. Uh, the only thing I could come up with on the spot was reading crime novels. So she dutifully made me fill in the form to choose some sort of vaguely legal kind of high street solicitor um, type options. Uh, in the end, I actually ended up shadowing the court clerk, as they were then called, they're now called legal advisors, who are the legally qualified individuals who work in the magistrates court, supporting the magistrates in their judicial decision making. Um, and it was three really interesting weeks. And so from then, I decided that I wanted to do a law degree. Uh, and the rest, as they say, I guess is history. And it's interesting because you mentioned there that kind of, you know, parents hadn't been to university and you wanted to go to university and you didn't just choose any university, you, cho you chose Cambridge University. So um, I know that that's kind of meant that you've since been quite passionate about social mobility um, and you do a lot of social mobility work at the firm that you're currently in. Yeah, the firm I'm at now, we have a, a very active social mobility network um, I'm involved in that network we're doing a lot but there is more we can do I think and more we're trying to do actually in targeting people to to go to university and to go to you know a good university and, and do a good course because otherwise it, we, well I guess we fall back on some of the old excuses that there aren't the right people coming out of the universities but certainly we are investing more time and effort now in targeting teenagers through whether it's mentoring, sponsorship, whatever, we have a couple of different schemes, um, depending on who we are trying to bring in and bring through. Uh, but it's certainly, I think once you're in the firm, I'd like to think it, do, it, well, it doesn't matter uh, your background, but it's getting people in in the first place and, and doing what we can about that. And you went from there to, to the city, which is where we met and um, all those years ago, um, and you, you've stayed at the same firm. Uh, but you've taken perhaps a non-traditional route in the firm. Can you tell me a bit about that? I qualified as a general corporate M&A lawyer. Um, and here we are still sort of doing corporate M&A law, however many years later. Uh, I was a junior associate, senior associate, um, supervised some trainees. And then effectively you get to that juncture in your career where you have to decide, uh, are you going to, you know, 
push for partnership or or not fundamentally um i really enjoyed m a work for as long as i was doing it um i genuinely did i didn't mind the hours or the stressful aspects um you did it was a real sense of satisfaction um in particularly some of the you know the bigger more front page grabbing deals that we've been a part of uh, but i had also had the opportunity during my time as an associate actually to do an internal secondment to the professional support lawyer team i did a few months in the team covering uh, another team member's maternity leave and that was actually just at the time that the companies at 2006 received royal assent so I got, you know, very into the weeds of various provisions in the Companies Act. And it was really fascinating, really interesting, sad as that may sound. Uh, so then I went, after I did my secondment, I went back to do M&A um, for a few more years. But I guess then when it got to that crunch point around, do I really want to be a partner? Do I want to be an owner of this business or maybe not? I sort of had that as a, an, another option or another idea in my back pocket. So very cliched, took a sabbatical and I'm trekking in mountains in Nepal. And I can remember being on my Blackberry, because we all had Blackberries then, in Kathmandu to my then um, head of practice, basically saying, actually, when I come back, I'm not sure I want to be um, senior associate anymore. Are, are there any other options? And I was very fortunate enough that they um, there was a spot for me in the professional support lawyer team. So that was 10 years ago. Do you think that there is still a notion that, you know, to be successful in a law firm means uh, you're a partner in that firm? That's not my view, but that's probably because I'm not a partner in my firm. Um, no, I mean, I think there are lots of or significantly more non-traditional, very senior, well-respected roles in most big international law firms. I mean, at their heart, they are big international businesses like many others. What we're selling is legal services and our people. So, you know, over half of our people are therefore understandably lawyers providing those legal services, but supported very capably by large teams of, I mean, pick um, business development, alternative legal services, legal operations, legal project management, all helping us to deliver better, more efficient services, hopefully, to our clients while still getting the, you know, the legal answer right at its heart um, i think probably what has changed over both of our the course of both of our careers is that real recognition development of the other side of the business uh, partly as the businesses have become bigger more international more complex but also you know as have our clients and therefore what they need from us is different um, and you need those different skill sets that cliche diversity of thought at the table to be able to deliver the most effective client solutions and i think i mean you, you say that that it's cliche but actually i think you know diverse thinking is something that i'm quite passionate about and one of the things that i love about herbert smith and i think it's kind of stayed since you know from when i was started that the ability to bring in different people to the table is something that i think the firm in particular believes in do you do you see that in the day-to-day Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And it comes from the top all the way down. Um, Justin D'Agostino, our current CEO, is not just passionate about diversity in all its senses, but he's very vocal about it. How does that kind of from the top discussion around diversity, how does that trickle across the firm? 
So, I mean, the the employee networks are a big part of it. So, yeah, we mentioned the social mobility network. We also have, you know, a family network, a ability network, multiculturalism networks, those kind of groups that are sponsored by senior leaders, but are actually empowering kind of grassroots um, groups of employees and lawyers to to do things, um, it will be at small things, perhaps, but to, to make change in the right direction or to support individuals who are already in the business. But I mean, we've also got, you know, serious commitment at the top in terms of the global diversity committee i've probably given it the wrong name but that's effectively what it is and ser you know serious commitment to strategic priorities around things like um you know gender targets in the partnership and in leadership which are driving change and, and more important probably drive where well, they're driving conversations which i think is probably the biggest obstacle to some of these changes and challenges people are worried about having the conversations they're worried about saying the wrong thing because they haven't necessarily got the same experience as the person that they're talking to but actually most of the time people want to have the conversation and they will forgive you if you i don't know choose the wrong language or the wrong question it's just it's about having those conversations and stimulating those debates if we do think there are any obstacles or any barriers you know we need to know about them before we can do something about them do you think clients can see you having those conversations and can see that the benefit that they're getting from you having those conversations? Having these kind of conversations with our clients being open about the fact that we're having them internally is, is just another way sometimes of, I don't know, developing, deepening the relationship, bonding with them, however you want to put it. And ultimately, of course, it demonstrates to them that what we have first and foremost in our minds is their best interest in solving their problem. I'm going to change direction a little bit now. Could you tell me a little bit about kind of maybe what the, the biggest achievement in your career has been and what success means for you? Would it be boring to say being promoted to my current role? Uh, well, it may be boring, but it's probably true. Um, so I joined the professional support lawyer team 10 years ago, working under um, absolutely a remarkable partner um, Carol Shutkeeper who has since retired um, she was one of the first sort of PSLs in the city really created the role drove it forward kept it fresh incredibly well respected in the firm and across the city of London and I learned a lot from her and then to be asked ultimately when she decided to retire and, and leave the practice to take on her role and lead the team of professional support lawyers supporting the London corporate practice I don't know I and mean, I guess that's that's certainly what I've been striving for whether I knew it or not um, I guess for the last or certainly the last 10 years. Part of your new role is leading a team and I know you've always had you know trainees or other people that you've worked with as part of a team but now you really do have kind of a big team underneath you how has that transition been into a leadership role? Um, I mean, I think it, it's very different, isn't it? As, as lawyers, we, we led very large teams sometimes, but it was on a kind of deal by deal basis. Or you had a trainee, you supervised them. But again, they were kind of only your responsibility for six months. So to be in charge of a permanent team is a, I don't know, it, it sounds trite, but it is mu it's much more of a responsibility around ensuring that people have 
well ultimately of course you know we've got to put the, the clients first whether it's our external clients or our internal clients and we've got to make sure we're servicing their needs but you also want your team to be happy you want them to be developing fulfilled not always doing the same thing you're just there as a sounding board give a second opinion a bit of direction if it's needed or another pair of eyes um that's the kind of day-to-day stuff but then i guess I'm also fortunate enough to be, you know, it's part, effectively is part of my job to then stop every, I don't know how often, every few months, I probably should do it more often, but to stop and think about you know, bigger picture, strategic, what is the next big thing on the horizon, whether it's in terms of a legal change or way we're working is changing or practice development. And, you know, what, what should we be doing as a team to make sure that we're at the front and centre of that? And our internal and external clients are getting what they need from us in terms of support. You know, we've had a, a funny year where, where we've had to work remotely, where we've had to manage teams remotely. How have you adapted to that as a leader? You just have to embrace the various video calling platforms, whichever one is your favourite. Um, embrace instant messenger if that's something that works for you and your team. The two ways to tackle it, I'm sure everybody's done the same thing, but you have diarised calls, whether it's individual or group, like team ones, that you make sure you never miss. But then also it's just a kind of, gosh, I haven't spoken to so-and-so yet today. Just give them a, give them a quick try and just see how they're doing. Um, it's interesting the, the the longer lockdown has gone on, I don't feel that that has dropped off at all, which I think is a, a good sign, that, as in everybody's still making the effort, but also I think it is proving effective. Um, if, if people had lost enthusiasm for it as we'd gone along, I think you'd take that as a sign that it wasn't really working. How do you think that this period of time is going to change the profession, if at all? I, I think there will be a recognition or a better recognition of more sort of flexibility of working arrangements. So, you know, we've all been, I hope anyway, as effective as we would have been in the office, even though we're all over the place and, you know, possibly improvised desks or working slightly different times of the day because of other commitments uh, hopefully that may help with um, bringing on or keeping some of the talent that we might have otherwise been losing because of any actual or perceived lack of flexibility uh, I mean I do think there's various sort of system changes that we need to you know implement things like you know a lot of our learning and our teaching our legal training a lot of that was still face to face because ultimately you know that kind of discussion around technical legal points probably is you know best done face to face but we are I mean we had already started the kind of digital transformation process but this is only going to accelerate it I think around a lot of the basic legal training content you know being moved online becoming interactive e-learning that type of thing which hopefully again it is attractive to the younger generation of lawyers coming through is a bit more flexible in terms of fitting it in around work and other things so i don't know i'm hopeful i mean obviously we ultimately we need to respond to client demand so we, we we still everybody i think is in a wait and see phase to see you know which businesses will um succeed and thrive as a result of the new normal or whatever we're going to call it post the pandemic and, and post all of these lockdown measures and which businesses may face broader challenges. Uh, but hopefully, you know, we'll be, as a legal services provider, we'll be in a better position 
to work with our, you know work with our clients and, and adjust alongside them you've managed to to create a work-life balance that I think many people will look at and be envious of do you think that you know now that people have experienced working from home and I've read different things because it can go both ways some people end up working even longer hours because actually you don't have that you know psychological break in the day and, and you can find yourself working working perhaps more than you would if you were in the office but do you think it's going to help people find a, a work-life balance well Claire I think you summarized it actually really well in the question itself uh, working from home remote working can go one of two ways I think you can either maximize the benefits of not having your commute of you know the limited ability to multitask and you know, for example you know chuck a load of laundry in while you're um, on a call or something or you can end up with work just bleeding into every minute of every day um, there's also I think the real challenge as I mentioned before around not having that physical team connectivity I know that from people who, who work from home all the time that you know they, they do um, miss that I think so I don't know I mean I think all you can strive for is your best on any given day or, a, or any given week so maybe sometimes you have a week. I mean, certainly for me, the first couple of months of lockdown, we were so incredibly busy just keeping up with the pace of legal changes already in the pipeline and daily changes as a response to the pandemic that it felt, you know, that I was working every every minute of every day. But then it has, you know, it's calmed down a little bit or did I just put some more boundaries in place or, you know, I, I don't know. But we, I feel it'll then feel like it's back in kilter for a few weeks and then something else will happen and, and it'll be out again for a week or two but I think you just have to accept that role with that I mean I think our, our training and our experience as transactional lawyers equips you for the peaks and troughs particularly well um, certainly if you you know if you enjoyed that work and you were good at it, um, it it's just those those are the kind of skills that carry through Sarah, thank you ever so much for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much, Claire. That was Claire Rayson talking to Sarah Halls, Head of Corporate Knowledge at Herbert Smith Freehills. And Claire's with me now. I really enjoyed that conversation, Claire, and in particular, her views on dif different pathways of success in a law firm. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting that big law firms are now seeing themselves as global businesses and recognising that as a business, there are different parts of the business that, that, you know, different parts of the businesses work together to make that business a success. And do you think they make that clear enough when you start in a legal career that you've got all those different options? I think when you start off in a law firm, you know, particularly if you start off as a lawyer in a law firm, I think you, you really don't have much of a much of a view as to to where that might take you I think you go in thinking you you know particularly kind of city law firms you're going to be a solicitor you know the path that you might see in front of you is perhaps more of a traditional one of you know we'll work our way through the ranks and, and become partner I think that um, you know Sarah stumbled across um, not corporate knowledge I guess um, because of a, an opportunity that arose within her career and where she was able to take a sabbatical into part of that team um, and you know she's she's obviously loved it and it, she's made a, a huge success of it um, you know I wonder whether actually big firms should make aware that there are other parts of the business where they might be interested in working in um, thinking particularly about our crossover 
podcast actually with Harry Clark um you know because I think that the generations coming up will have skill sets that perhaps you know you and I didn't when we started off in our careers you know around um social media around building a brand around technology um so I think you know maybe that's something for firms to look at what do you think yeah maybe there's something about the outset of a career making it clear that there are all these different paths and choices that can be made and it's just not almost like a a direct conveyor belt to partnership or nothing. The people I talk to, firms really struggle with that to demonstrate the diversity of opportunity that they really do have, but maybe aren't prepared to shout about. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And, and, And actually, you know, I mean, Sarah kind of demonstrates there how you know throughout from from the very beginning how you know little moments can have huge impacts on your career and and send you off in directions that perhaps you never never thought about and and, you know Sarah's obviously very open to 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 taking those opportunities and and running with them but actually maybe presenting different opportunities right from the beginning or getting people to taste different things that you know where where they might have a role um, you know, might be something for, for firms to consider. So, so you get to a point where the firm gets out of the best of the, the staff that it recruits and develops, and also all those different individuals find the right home within that business rather than going somewhere else when they find that, that maybe what they thought they were going to get isn't what they're actually getting in fact. So maybe what we're learning is that, that there are a range of different careers at law firms which they should become better at shouting about at the very beginning of people's career and in doing that everybody maybe has a better chance of landing in the role they want in the same business and the firm gets the best out of all those individuals that they've invested so much time in so maybe that's something for us to explore in the future so thanks very much for that claire no problem it's really great to be back thanks very much for listening and we hope you join us for the next episode of the lawyer's coach Lawyers Coach is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. If you're enjoying this series, please rate us on your podcast provider so that others can find us. If you're a lawyer and would like to take part in Lawyers Coach, please visit our website, lawyercoach.co.uk, for further details. And you can also join the conversation on our LinkedIn group, Lawyers Coach. If there are any topics you'd like to hear us discuss, then just get in touch.